Good morning, Parkway Church. So glad you guys are here with us today. Welcome Parkway Victoria, Parkway Online, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Port Lavaca. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it's my privilege today to open the Bible with you and to continue our journey uncovering the big story of God. Before I jump into today's message, I want to take just a moment to celebrate how far we've come in the Bible. In 2018, we began a journey through Scripture. We started in the book of Genesis, which is the very front of the Bible. And we have made our way through the Old Testament. We've made our way through much of the New Testament, including the Gospels, and including Paul's letters to the church. And look where we are now in our journey through Scripture. We are almost to the maps, y'all. This is a great journey that we've been on through Scripture. And I'm glad four of you are excited about it. Hey, did you know that the Astros are going into the World Series? Okay. I know, I know, I know, I know that sometimes you like to mess with me. Because we give the Bible a golf clap and we give Altuve a woo! By the way, Altuve 2020, who's voting with me? So we are excited to be on our journey through Scripture. We are excited to be marching through the Bible, and we're stepping into the books of First and Second Peter. And in these books, we're going to see God's Word written to a church that was experiencing change, written to a church that was paying a price for their faith because they were believers in Jesus. Their world was changing. And today, I want to remind you of the old childhood saying, Ready or not, here I come. And it's not Mike that's coming, but it is change that's coming. I grew up in the kind of neighborhood where your like, mom and dad said, don't come home until it's dark. I don't know if that was because of who I was as a kid or because of my mom's issues, but rule was you cannot come in this house until it's dark. And so we played football in the streets. We ran through creeks and did all sorts of fun stuff that our parents never knew about. It was amazing. One of the things that we did was we played this game called kick the can. And just as it was getting dark, before the street light came on and we were told to go home, just before it got dark, we would play kick the can. And kick the can was this game where you would set a can out in the middle of the street and one person would be chosen to be it and everybody else would go run and hide. And the goal of the game would be to come and to kick the can without getting caught. And so the way the game was played, you would say, okay, Mikey, you're it. And so I would go and count and you would typically count to, to 15 or 20 because it was a pretty long street. And so I would count like this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. And they'd say, no, 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 you got to count slower. I need a do-over. So it's, it's 15 Mississippi, Mike. And so you would count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, or count down if you were smart enough to do it that way. And then you would shout, ready or not, here I come. And then the person that was it, their eyes would open and they'd be scanning the street, looking to see where are my friends hiding and am I fast enough to go tag them? Can I catch them? in the midst of this game. And friends, as we say, ready or not, change is coming. I realize that change isn't a game that we play anymore on the street. Change is actually a game that will come and kick our can if we're not careful. 
And so we're going to look at God's word to see how it addresses change because ready or not, our world is changing. And I want to take a little survey to see who we've got gathered with us today. How many of you like change? Like you love things being different. You don't mind change. How many of y'all hate change? (laughs) You're going to love this series. How many of you wish you could just push pause and nothing would change? Like you're in a season right now where you would like to push pause and nothing would change? Well, good news, bad news. Good news, the world is going to continue to change. And the good news is we have a hope in Jesus Christ, a living hope in Christ that tells us we can change and we can change to be more like God and we can change to to honor God with our lives no matter what comes our way. That's the good news. Now, the bad news, we can't push pause on change. The bad news, if you don't like change, you've got to learn to adapt or adjust because change is coming. Let's jump into the Bible together as we turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter's in the back of your Bible. And today we're going to learn how we can change intentionally. We can't push pause on change. We can't cover our eyes and ignore the change. We're going to learn how we can make a plan today that will help our world change tomorrow in the way that we want it to. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Here's what the Bible says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pause right there. No matter what happens in my future, my life is defined by what's happened in the past. No matter what happens in my future, my life is defined by what God did, sending his son to die on the cross for my sins and raising him from the dead. No matter what happens in my future, my future is defined by my past. And I have a living hope. This is a hope that's effective in any and all generations. This is a hope that has no expiration date because it is found in the living power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So praise be to God who has given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now verse four. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you, who is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Not only do we have a hope that is alive and well here on earth because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of the life and power of our Savior, we also have a future hope that is held by God himself. Do you see it? We are shielded by God's power so that we know that we've got an inheritance in heaven that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Just when you think hope here on earth is running out, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, and see that by the power of God, because of your faith, he is protecting your internal inheritance. He is your shield. This is a great reminder that God is the one who secures our salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And when we believe in Christ for life, God gives us a new life here on earth. He gives us the future reward of heaven. 
And he is our guarantee. He is the one who is our shield. Verse 6. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you have, suffer, you have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. You've got a new life in Christ. You've got a future hope. But right now, you're going through some difficult seasons. You are going through some griefs and trials. Why? Verse 7. Do you ever ask why or sometimes life seasons tough, even for believers? Here's why. Verse 7. These have come so that, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is greater worth than gold, which perishes even through the refined fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let's pause. Why is it that we as believers with a living hope and a future reward still face trials and troubles? Why is it that we still face grief? Why is it that we still live in a world that's constantly changing and seldom changing for the better? Why? We live in this world and we face trials and temptations and troubles so that our faith can be proved genuine. We get a chance to live out our faith in a way that it reminds ourselves that what I believe is true and real and works. We get to live out our faith, and we'll see it here in a moment, in a way that points others to Jesus as well. This faith that you have is of greater worth than gold. This faith that you have is the most valuable asset in your portfolio, friends. This is what matters most in your life so that we may result our lives despite the griefs, despite the trials, despite the troubles, that our lives, because our faith is genuine, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 8 and 9, let's finish it up. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love how Peter is encouraging the church here. Because he's reminding the church, you haven't seen Jesus with your own eyes like I saw Jesus with my own eyes. When you follow Jesus, you are following him not by sight, but you are following him by faith alone. And that faith is valuable. And though you haven't seen him, what is going on in your life? You love him? Though you haven't seen him, what's going on in your life? You believe in him? Though you haven't seen him, by faith, you're trusting him. What's happening in your life, believer in Jesus Christ? You are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Because you're experiencing the fruit of your salvation. The salvation that you have here and today with a living hope in Jesus Christ. And the salvation that you will take hold of in heaven that is guaranteed by God himself. You are shielded by his power and his power alone. Friends, in an ever-changing world, may we hold on to the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And may we be people who choose to intentionally change instead of allowing the world to change us. Because we have the power of God at work in us, and we have the opportunity. It's one of the reasons the book of 1 Peter was written. We have the opportunity to prove that faith is real and faith works no matter what. 
we have the ability to prove not only does faith work in a big picture sort of things, but my faith is genuine. Are you going through a trouble, a trial? Are you going through a difficulty right now? You have a chance to prove that your faith is genuine, that your faith is authentic. Don't question God as to why you're going through the difficult time like he's not in charge of your life, but instead ask him, how can I prove that my faith is genuine? How can I prove that my faith is authentic? And I want you to never forget the value of living by faith. Your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, your faith may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Friends, as we look at a world that is changing, let's be people that turn to the Bible and say, I'm going to intentionally change so that my life and my lifestyle looks more and more like Jesus in the days and years to come. And as we have that mindset of intentional change, 1 Peter gives us three instructions. So let's jump into those. The first one is this. You can fill in the blank. Pay attention to your desires. Peter's going to talk to the church that's struggling and being persecuted and paying a price for their faith. And he's going to talk to them about what's happening inside. Because our desires become our destination. What we chase with our life is who we will become. Our desires become our destination. I also need you to understand that when it comes to lasting change, change begins in the mind. It's so we must pay attention to the things that we desire. In fact, Peter uses stronger language than just pay attention to. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, with minds that are alert, your uh, translation might say, with minds that are ready for action, with minds that have, have lifted and ready to run, with minds that are ready for action and fully sober. This sober mind is one that is clear and self-controlled. I love the image here. It's let's be fully sober. Let's be self-controlled and let's have a clear mindset because what matters in my life is what I desire first and above all else. So I am going to be ready for action and I'm going to be fully sober. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. He says, I want you to have hope with a prepared and a self-controlled mind because your desires become your destination. Verse 14, as obedient children, and Peter's going to give us the choice of our desires. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't you love it when the Bible spells it out so clearly? Okay, if your desire is your destination, don't live with the same desires you had when you were living in, in ignorance. But instead, but just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, quoting the Old Testament, be holy because I am holy. And the simple definition of holiness that we see in this passage is be holy by not conforming to your evil desires. You have a choice when it comes to that which you desire 
first and above all else. You have a choice in how you respond to temptation in the world around you. Be holy as I am holy. Don't live in ignorance according to those sinful desires. What I love about this passage is that God reminds us of our standard. Our standard is not our goodness. Our standard is his holiness. And he looks and says to you, believer in Jesus, the world might be changing for the worst, but my standard is holiness. My standard is godliness fleshed out in love and dependence and obedience. This passage reminds us that we must deal with our desires because God calls us not just to improve ourselves, but God calls us to be holy as he is holy. We have a hope that is fixed on God's grace because change is possible. As I preach to you with great passion today about the holiness of God, I preach to you with a mindset of grace because God's grace is that which empowers us to live a holy life. God's grace not only forgives us of our unholiness, but God's grace empowers us to live a godly life. We have a hope that's fixed on grace because change is possible. And our goal, our desire is to live with obedience in mind, to live with a mindset that says, I will be holy as you are holy. I'm not going to excuse my sin. I'm not going to look away from my sin, but I'm going to set my goal. I'm going to set my desire to be holy as you are holy. Let me do a quick checkup with us on this. In the last three years, Believer in Jesus Christ, how have you grown in holiness? You may have been sitting in a church for decades. That's great. In the last three years, how have you grown in holiness? How have you made decisions that say no to your ignorant, evil desires? Say, Mike, did you just call me ignorant? Nope, the Bible did. I didn't do it, God did in the last three years, where have you grown in holiness? Have you allowed yourself to be pulled? Have you allowed yourself to be swayed? Have you allowed yourself to be deceived by your own evil desires? Or have you set your ambition? Have you set your mind like sober? Have you set your mind ready for action on the holiness of God so that you too will live a holy life. As believers in Jesus Christ, your genuine faith, your authentic faith, will result in your ongoing growth and holiness and obedience to God. In the last three years, how are you doing with it? See, Mike, why did you choose three years? I choose three years because that's a period of time that we should all see progression in. I could have chosen three months because there are progressions we take towards holiness each and every day. But as you look at the big picture of your life, in the last three years, honest assessment, are you more like the holy God who has saved you and given you a living hope? Or are you more like the one that 
you don't want to be, the old you, the one you used to be. I think about in the last three years, there have been some changes of things that I allow in my mind. In the last three years, I've changed. We don't watch anything past PG-13 anymore, which makes it really hard on like nights when you're trying to watch a movie and you're scouring Netflix and Prime and all of that. Makes it difficult. It actually makes it kind of easy too, because with my eyesight as bad as it is now, if I look and I see there's just one letter there, I can't watch it. But if it's PG with a dash and a, and a number, I can watch it. If it's two letters, PG, I can watch it. If it's a cartoon, I know that's a G. I can watch it. I've made some changes in what I allow in my mind. Why? Not because I don't have the freedom to watch anything beyond PG-13, but because it's not best for me. Because it's not holy for me. I've changed how I let things in my life on my social media feed. Because I don't want language that's inappropriate coming from your feed into my life. How are you growing in holiness in practical ways? Where has God caused you to say no to the sinful ignorance of your past and be holy as he is holy? Now, here's the deal. A legalist would look at you and say, because I don't watch any movies beyond PG-13, you can't watch any movies beyond PG-13. Because I don't follow people who use ignorant language on their Facebook page, you shouldn't do it. The legalist says, because I do it, you shouldn't. But here's the deal. I'm inviting you to a relationship with God where you look at him and you say, God, because you are holy, I want to be holy. Teach me how to pursue you. I'm sharing with you the low-hanging fruit on my life that God has moved me towards holiness on. There's much more. Where is your conversation with God going to lead you? Being alert and fully fully sober that the desires of your life will become your destination. Second, if we're going to intentionally change, we first pay attention to our desires. And second, fill in this blank, remember who you are. I will remember who I am so that I change on purpose instead of allowing the culture, the times to change me. Listen to how 1 Peter describes who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 9 through 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you see it? Your faith is genuine so that you can declare the praises of God. You are who you are in Christ so that you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In the Bible, we see these lists of who we are now that we believe. We have a living hope in Jesus. We have an eternal hope that God himself is shielding. And now we see another list of who we are in Christ. 
And we remember who we are in Christ so that we know who we can become in Christ. We remember who we are so that we know who we can become. Listen to who the Bible says you are if you're a believer in Jesus. First, you are chosen by God. When you became a believer in Jesus, it's because God's Spirit called you. It's because God's Spirit wooed, because God's Spirit chose you. He invited you into a relationship with Him. You are chosen. Second, you are a royal priesthood. You have been placed within this church. You have been placed within our communities so that you could be a representative for God wherever you are. You are a royal priesthood. God has a mission and a plan for your life, for you to be a representative for him before others. You might look and say, Mike, you're my pastor. And I look at you and say, yeah, but you're a priest. You might look and say, Mike, you are paid to do what you do. And I look and say, well, you're good for nothing. You are a priest. God has given you a ministry. God has given you a a job and a task and a calling. You are a holy nation. As we look back at the Old Testament, we see that God chose Israel to be his people so that they would stand out from the other nations who worshiped false gods, so that they would stand out from other nations and show what it means to be a holy nation. God looks at you and says, you are now a holy nation. We are now as a church, the holy nation of God with the spirit of God alive and living in us. And you are God's special possession. You see, when you remember who you are, you know who you can become. And each and every believer can become one who is confident that they are chosen by God. They matter to God. Each and every believer can know and use and serve in the ministry that God has given them. We don't have a paid priesthood within the church of Jesus Christ. We have a royal priesthood, the church serving with her gifts, serving with her passions. And that means all of us. And every believer can know and use the gifts that God has given them. And every believer can also grow in holiness. When you remember who you are, you know who you can become. And so there is no one gathered here that holiness is off the table for. There is no one here that is broken to the point where God's spirit can't work in you to grow you in holiness. There's no one's past that has made you so so damaged that you can't grow from this point forward to be holy as he is holy. It's possible for all because of who God is and because of who he says we are. And then he says, once you were not a people, but now you're a people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And all of this is so that you can declare the praises of the one who called you from darkness into light. As you look at your life, friends, remember who you are. You are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. You are one who has received mercy 
so that you can declare his praises as you move from darkness to light, as you move from the shadows to the holiness of God that he desires for you. Growing up, how many of y'all were scared of the dark? How many of y'all right now, like when you sleep, you have a light on nearby? I, I don't understand people that can sleep with lights on. Lights wake us up. Lights don't help us sleep. You know what I wish, though? I wish that if I asked the question today as believers in Jesus Christ, how many of you are scared of the dark? I wish that every hand in this room would go up. Because we must, must, must as believers not grow comfortable living in the shadows or settling for the dark. But instead, we must, must, must as believers remember who we are and the fact that we can declare the praises of God as he calls us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Where you have grown comfortable in the dark, may I encourage you to be like a child who is scared of the dark. You want all the light you can get and you want it now. So first, we pay attention to our desires. Second, we remember who we are. And lastly, and quickly, we fully commit to the will of God. There are going to be some words here that Peter uses. They're going to initiate action in our life. We fully commit to the will of God now. 1 Peter 3, 13 says this. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? When I talk about fully committing to the will of God, I'm encouraging you to be eager to do what is good. I'm encouraging you to be eager to set your mind on the hope you have in Christ, to be eager to be one who is growing in holiness as God is holy, to be eager to be one who remembers who you are. I'm asking you to deal with the procrastination kills the progress of intentional change in your life. The Bible here says, don't put off till tomorrow what you must do today. Be eager to do good. And as we keep reading in 1 Peter in that passage, it reminds us that we can be eager to do good because we don't have to fear men and women. God is at our side. We can be eager to do good because there is nothing that will come against us as believers in Jesus Christ that God can't and won't overpower. There's no fear of failure in our future because our future is held by God. So we're going to be eager to do what is good. You know, if they had a cure for procrastination, if it was a pill, I think I would take it tomorrow. That's the danger. That's the danger of not doing today what should be done. Actually, in my life personally, I've been living by this new mantra for about the last year. If I can do it today, why put it off to tomorrow? And it has made me like hyper annoying because if it can be done today, let's do it today. If there's time to do it today, let's do it right now. There's no need to put it off. It's also made me hyper-efficient because I'm using today to do what God has called me to do instead of pushing it off until tomorrow. 
And so I've been walking around with this little mantra, and it works in every area of life. If I got work to do at the office, hey, why not? Why put off to tomorrow what I could do today? If I've got things I need to do around the house, why put off to tomorrow the lawn mowing that needs to happen today? If I need to have a conversation with somebody, why put off to tomorrow what needs to happen today? Be eager to do what is good. Don't put it off. Be eager to do what is good. If my world is going to change because God is leading me, I'm going to be eager to do what is good. And I thought I came up with this on my own. I was like, I got, I got a new life hack. I got a new trick. I thought I figured it out on my own. And then I read this quote by Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln wrote this. Leave nothing for tomorrow, which can be done today. Like, wow, I'm as smart as a guy that was raised in a cabin and had candlelight for reading. That is awesome. But you know why he said that? Continue his thought. You cannot escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today. Church, will you be eager to do what is good? You see your responsibility is laid out before you. Set that mind. Fix it on the hope you have in Christ. Will you be eager to do what is good? You see your responsibility. Be holy as I am holy. Will you be eager to do what is good, church? Because you know the responsibility of tomorrow? Ready or not, change is coming. And now here's the hope. Ready or not, God is at work in us. Ready or not, we have a living hope that nothing and no one can take away. Ready or not, we have a standard that we can chase and we have a standard that we can reach because the grace of God is real and your faith is authentic. Your faith is genuine. Ready or not, today is the day to fully commit to the will of God and to say to your Lord and Savior, I am eager to do good because ready or not, Lord Jesus, I'm following you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word, to be challenged today. God, help us now as we apply it. Help us to apply it in such a way that we do grow in holiness. Help us to apply it in such a way that we do grow in faithfulness and dependence to you. God, right now as we pray, I pray that the church would be committing to do your will, to be eager to do what's good. As people who are chosen, as people who are priests, as people who are growing in holiness, as people who are your special possession. God, may we now commit fully being eager to do good in our lives.